Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Well, welcome to Mortification of Spin. My name's Carl Truman. I'm a professor at Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania. And I'm here with my two sidekicks, uh, Amy Bird, the housewife theologian, and Todd Pruitt, pastor of a mega church. Oh, goodness. Hillsong denomination, I think, in, <laughs> yeah, in Virginia. Brandy, we've is that, we've is just that joined the new Hillsong just denomination. Just become a new denomination. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. You've got the Carl Lentz aesthetic going today, <laughs> I can see on the, uh, the clothes that you're, yeah. that you're wearing. Mm-hmm. It's great to be with you. We have a very special guest today. Uh, his name is Joel Kim. And he is the relatively newly appointed president of Westminster Seminary in California. Uh, Many of our listeners will uh, know Westminster because of some of the great books that have been produced by professors there. Probably Mike Horton Mm -hmm. uh, will be well known to many people tuning into this uh, podcast. So it's great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. First question, Joel, uh, what on earth possessed you? to take the job as a president of a seminary. Having been a <laughs> vice president myself, this strikes me as an insane career move. For you. <laughs> you know, you caught me off guard. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, um, you know, what's funny is when we were going through the process and I had to come before my faculty colleagues where I've been teaching for about a dozen years and we were taking questions from them as they also... Uh, contribute to this decision-making process, the very first question I got from one of my colleagues was, why would you want to do this? <laughs> um, and so I, your sentiment is completely understood here, and I would agree with you in many ways as well. I'm not exactly sure if I was clamoring for this, nor even praying about it. This is as much a surprise for us as anyone else. And for, uh, for me and my wife, Sharon in particular, um, this is not something that we take on lightly. This is not something that we were hoping for. When the, the chairman of the board, who also was chairing the search committee, came and said, would you consider possibly submitting your name? We initially gave him four, five, six reasons why we don't think we should be the ones taking on this responsibility. There are so many other men who are more than capable beyond me. And in many ways, replacing a legend for us, uh, Robert Godfrey, who served as president for 24 years, has served it so faithfully mm-hmm. that it was hard for me to even imagine mm-hmm. stepping into that role. Were it not for the conviction that the Lord was leading us into this position, with the conviction that it's beyond me, it's certainly true, and, and were it not for the fact that we have this wonderful faculty as well as staff, I don't think we could have taken on this responsibility. Mm-hmm. Last year has borne that out as well. It's, it's the sacrifice and the hard work of many around me that's made the first year possible. And even more so, the Lord's been very kind to us. That's and good. so we, we take on this responsibility with great trepidation. It's not something we take on lightly. And so I completely understand what you're saying, Carl. Um, I'm still learning. And so as a person who's a newbie, I don't even know all the difficulties yet. So uh, as long as the school stays open, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Well, um, Joel, how would you describe uh, the relationship between uh, the church 
and, and the seminary? Well, I think the best way for me to describe it is uh, seminaries and seminaries like ours, we exist for the church. It's not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lord will keep us here as long as we do our work of supplying the front lines with capable men and women to serve the church well. And our job is to train and equip specialists in the Bible so that they can go forth and to teach and to proclaim and preach and to be able to pastor the churches that are out there. And so the relationship is um, not necessarily one direction, but we exist to support the churches. Now, we depend on the churches for our education as well. Mm -hmm. Not only do they get our final product, we depend on the churches for their financial resources, for them sending us to students. But most importantly, one of the things that obviously most seminaries do is to train pastors. And in order for us to train them, classroom work is insufficient. We Mm -hmm. do our best. All our faculty members are pastors. They serve in local churches. They're engaged in the lives of the students. The ratio is very low. So all those things are wonderful things that we could do and we strive to do the best of our ability. But really, when these students are in the local churches, um, hearing the gospel being proclaimed to that week in and week out, being mentored and ministered by the pastors and elders of the local churches, they have a huge say in nurturing and shaping these men. And so for us, we consider this an important partnership for us. We, we, this is not just an addition for us. These are the places where they're going to be going into, but just as importantly, uh, their participation in the local churches play a huge role in the shaping and the nurturing of future pastors. Mm, I, that leads to a question I have. Um, I received a listener question in my email saying, has there been a shift in the focus of evangelical seminaries away from preparing men for the pastorate? If so, what are some potential dangers in this shift? And finally, what should we do about it? That's a loaded question. I saved that one for (laughs) you. (laughs) There's so many elements that are there. If I can say it this way, my guess is that most of your audience members are Reformed and Presbyterian, Mm -hmm. which means that most of the pastors that they have in their churches have a degree called Master of Divinity, which is a three to four year degree where they're trained in practical theology, biblical theology, as well as systematics and historical theology for them to be ready to undergo the exams necessary for them to become ministers. Mm -hmm. One of the trends that we see right now in ATS schools is that there is a huge drop in a number of MDiv students. The popular degree right now among seminaries is the MA. Mm. Folks who are thinking that MA is sufficient in many ways, folks who are thinking about advanced theological degrees, therefore getting MAs, folks who are interested in theology, but not necessarily for ministry purposes. So the MA is growing. MDiv is decreasing. Now, that's just one particular point, but I think it does indicate the fact that men who are preparing for ministry in general is on the decline in many ways. Now, coupled with that, I think, is the trend among seminaries for financial reasons and for enrollment purposes. We have many many seminaries who are also lowering the number of units required for their MDiv degrees. Hmm. And so, ATS that tracks these things it used to be that many seminaries maintained a curriculum that's above 100 units. So in a semester system like ours, 
we, we require 110 units. But many seminaries are now below 100, some even below 90 and 80 hmm. Hmm. Uh, for their MDiv degrees. And so here, in many ways, the training has gone through a lot of changes in terms of preparing men for future ministries. Do I think, as someone who is involved in seminary ministry, that this is at least minimally uh, a concern and if not an alarm? Yeah, I think in many ways. I think there is a way that men have been trained for ministry and the seminaries have played an integral role in that particular uh, process and preparation. And it, it is of concern to us that there is a decrease in number of students going into the MDiv program, mm-hmm. and there is a decrease in terms of training that they're receiving. In these very quickly changing and tumultuous times, we are firm believers that future pastors require more training, not less training. Mm-hmm. And we stand by that desire to train them to the best of our ability. And how we go about that, obviously, is different from individual seminary to another. But our primary task at Westminster Seminary California is to train pastors. And so we want to devote our attention and energy in that direction. That's uh, an interesting uh point joel if you thought that was a loaded question he's a kind of loaded comeback here we go (laughs) yeah there's a sense in which the the way seminaries are structured today requires a lot of money uh, and that means that that you need income streams to what extent do you wrestle with the the ethical question of student debt I'm trying to think of a better way of putting this, but when students come to to seminary, they're going to run up debt. Probably they're coming from uh, degrees which th- where they've already run up an amount of student debt. They're training for uh, a job that that almost by definition is going to give them a lower income than other things they might be able to do. How do you, as a seminary president, wrestle with the various moral and ethical questions that? that that raises is it something that keeps you awake at night uh, is it something that you you see the churches perhaps have to provide a solution to uh, oh, how, how would you respond to that carl that what a difficult question um, <laughs> <laughs> i should have warned you about it in advance, Joel. It, it was one of the things that played you know i've just finished teaching at a seminary for 17 years i taught at seminary Absolutely. and it was one of the things that i wouldn't say it kept me awake at night but it was one of the questions i wrestled with to what extent do we take responsibility for the debts that our students uh, are sort of running I, up and to what extent should the churches take responsibility for that I, I i do think it's it's an important one that many of us wrestle with i mean does it keep me up at night I can't say that, although the finances and fundraising element being such a such an important part of this role, obviously these are things that are all mixed together that worry us on a day-to-day basis. Um, let me state the ideal case first, Carl, and see if you agree, and perhaps we, uh, you can help me think through this issue as well. The ideal situation is that we minimize if not eliminate the cost of training pastors for future ministry in the local churches. Um, we, we recognize that there is a business side to this and a financial side to this, but I think many of us would agree, I certainly think, that if there is eventually a way where we can train these men for church ministry and minimize their debt or eliminate it altogether, 
it will be an ideal situation. I mean, I dream of a day when we have enough funding as well as resources that we make a call for MDiv students as needed by the local churches to train at our school so that they may be released to do their ministry right away and not be saddled with the burden of not only student loan or the thought process that the financial element has to play such a big and major role in their decision-making process, whether for local churches or for that matter, global missions, uh, where oftentimes the financial matters make such an important part of the decision process of the individuals. Here, our goal in the front office is to not only wrestle with the moral and ethical side of those things and to try to minimize the cost overall, but to truly put the best effort into minimizing that. That means, you're right, partnering with the local churches. Local churches do have a responsibility of not only for self-sustenance, but for larger kingdom perspective, providing the needs as well as resources necessary to support the training of these men. Pastors don't just appear out of nowhere. Um, and well-trained pastors are worth the investment. Mm-hmm. And it, it is exactly that. It's an investment. Mm-hmm. It's not something where you're going to see a return immediately, nor is the return going to be necessarily returning to your local church. But it's an investment that's important nonetheless. And we want to encourage our churches, as well as the members within these churches, to make that investment. On the flip side, we have an institution As an institution, we have the responsibility of reducing cost as much as possible. Carl, I I don't know if you know this, uh, but uh, from the beginning, our school is about 38 years old. And from the beginning of the school, one of the dreams that our founders had was to build a a student housing village. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's been a, a, a part of our prayer as well as focus for some time. And California is not cheap. It's not (laughs) one of those places where students can just simply come. And especially if you're from out of state, the sticker shock is tremendous. And we recognize that as well. And so from the beginning, people have wanted to and prayed about uh, building this village. And uh, here in the last four or five years, uh, because the blessings of the Lord's provisions, as well as many prayer partners, as well as givers, we now have our village Mm -hmm. up, which is 64-unit apartment complex, complexes, nine buildings, where now we are about 95% occupied. Now, in in mentioning that, obviously- And it's beautifully done, by the way. You know, it it is beautiful. And I hope Mm -hmm. that uh, all of you have a chance to come and see. I mean, I I hope that this doesn't sound too (laughs) self-serving to simply say, we're just really blessed to have a building here. The Lord's been very kind to us. Does that include married accommodation as well, Joel? Yeah, these are apartments. They're apartments. They're beautiful. So these are one bedroom, two bedrooms, three bedroom apartments, 64 Mm -hmm. units. And if you see the number of kids on campus as we speak, I'm in my office right now. It's amazing mm. sight. I, you know, uh, the playground was being put up a couple months back, and you probably had about 25 uh, years old and under foreman watching the people put it up because they couldn't <laughs> wait to get on that That's side awesome. and start playing. But I, I mentioned that because here, part of the reason for that building uh, was not just that we wanted to fulfill our master plan for the beginning. But it's about blessing our students. Mm -hmm. It allows us to accommodate married couples and families with kids 
in ways that the local community as well as uh, the apartments or houses could not. We're mm-hmm. renting them out at about 40% below the, the, the going market rate. Yeah. And living on campus, they're right next door. You go down the hill from our, our main campus, and that's where they live. It allows many families to now live with only one car instead of two, mm-hmm. which was a requirement for many families as well. Hmm. These are things that we as an institution, just one of many, obviously, and I'm sure these thoughts are shared by many, we feel the burden for our uh, future pastors as well as students. And I am a graduate of a seminary myself and recognizing the kind of financial burden we began with. We're hoping and trying our best to reduce this as much as we can. And we have an obligation to try to reduce this as much as we can, not only through scholarships, but providing opportunities and means uh, Mm -hmm. for them to attend while not borrowing as much as Mm -hmm. they often would need to. Now, how this translates to an overall desire to reduce and and get it down to zero as much as possible, it's going to require a lot more partners and a lot more churches and a lot more creative ways of engaging, including how we give out loans. But all those things are things that we're working on and praying about and seeking wisdom in because we do feel the burden and the responsibility of supplying the churches with the best prepared pastors who are not burdened so much by the cares of this world. We can't eradicate that uh, just as an institution, but we are seeking partners, uh, not only churches and individuals, to make that as much a reality as possible. Mm, That's good, and that's that's encouraging to hear. you know, one thing I've, I've, I've thought about, and, and, I, and I wanted to, um, to ask you, just given the role that the Lord has given you, as we look around at the, uh, uh, the spiritual and ecclesiastical landscape of our country, there are seminaries that once were stalwarts of, of orthodoxy, seminaries that were some at least evangelical, that, that are now given over to great errors, some really given over to apostasy in some cases. How do you, just in terms of, of, of thinking about leadership in a seminary, how does a seminary maintain its standard of, of confessionalism? How, how does a seminary protect itself from the slide into to error? Todd, this is such a homework for us because we're reflecting on this on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And for the last three or four years, as our institution is going through a transition, not only in terms of leadership, but also a generation of faculty. Mm -hmm. With the Mm -hmm. retirement of Dennis Johnson this past June, the very first generation of faculty members have now all retired. Mm -hmm. And so, just like Joshua felt in the first chapter, where you're not only seeing a transition from Moses to Joshua, Mm -hmm. you're seeing a translation from this kind of nomadic nation into this sedentary nation of the Israelites. That sounds overly dramatic, but that's how we feel in many ways, because we're going through this change. And the question for us, as you stated it so well, how do we maintain our focus in terms of who we are Mm -hmm. and where we desire to be? Now, we can't be comprehensive about everything, but there are two things that we're learning. One is we recognize that people are more important than policy. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's about having the right people, not only as faculty, as staff, but also in our board as well. 
people who are in agreement with one another in their theological foundation and commitments and in terms of where we are and where we want to go. And so picking and choosing and appointing the right people and focusing on that area is an important element for us. The second thing for us is being very clear on our mission. Um, I think you know this very well as much as anyone else. Seminaries like ours, and Westminster is no exception, we're good at very few things. <laughs> I mean, yeah. very, very few things. Um, yeah. we're, not, we're not that nimble. We're not that gifted in terms of many other areas where the churches have need. Yeah. We're good at training people to be specialists in the Bible so that they can go out and become pastors and missionaries. That's our mission. And I think focusing and reiterating and aligning ourselves to the mission of the seminary is such an important part of what we do. And my responsibility is to remind not only myself and the faculty and the staff and the board, but our students that are coming through each and every single day, that there is a mission that we're trying to accomplish. And it's not 20 different things. It's very few things. And not being distracted right. by those things that are more glittering, uh, more attractive is going to be our main focus. The last thing, if I can mention it this way, and, 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 and it sounds cliche for me to say it, but I think it's worth uh, reminding ourselves we are a confessional institution, right? and we stand by this confession. I don't know if you know this, but for us, because we do have this confluence of both Presbyterian and Continental Reform traditions, our faculty members have to subscribe to all six documents, the oh, Westminster okay. Standards and the Three Forms of Unity. My background is intriguing in the sense that I was born in a Korean Presbyterian pastor's family <laughs> who, who came to the States when I was 10 joined the Christian Reformed Church before yes. it went through all the changes, yep. and then left the CRC in 2000 when they reaffirmed the women's ordination decision of 1995 mm -hmm. and joined the PPA. So here, I can honestly say I was catechized in all six documents. <laughs> right, uh, right. But all that to say, we are a confessional institution. Yeah. And we say that not with any bit of shame, right. uh, but that this is who we are. It's our identity. Mm -hmm. And the confessions draw the boundaries so that we recognize what our minimum core is that unites us. We're not going to be known for our peripheral research and discussions. All those things are important for us, but we're bound together by our mutual commitment to the confessions. And I think we have to be very careful to place the confessional commitments up front and without any guile or shame about the fact that we are a confessional institution. Yeah. And that's what we want to do, uh, to kind of moor ourselves to our confessions. That's good. What's your approach to women in seminary? <laughs> Todd uh, wait, nobody was expecting that <laughs> question from this person. Women, He's women, like, hey, women, no, women, no, women, no, women, 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 things. women, women, uh, women. Oh, Let's talk about women for a Guys, be quiet. They're egging you on. <laughs> do you see uh, what I have to deal with? Uh, you know, Amy, I feel for you. I, I, Thank I you. I don't know how you do it. I wasn't even done asking my question and they're like all over me like a bunch of dogs. I mean, I hear them rolling their eyes. I don't know why they I think this is a very important question. I agree. Uh, now I they're agree. fidgeting, all scared. I'm going to give them an evil eye. But um, on, you know, what up. percentage hurry of up. women are enrolled at Westminster? And, and what kind of careers are they seeking with their education there? Like, what, what do you have to offer them? So our school, the MDiv program, does not allow women uh, admits. 
And I, I realize that that's uh, very much against the, the, the regular stream and culture. But from the beginning, because we do believe that men should be the ones who are in an ordained ministry, mm-hmm. we have not admitted women to the MDF program. As you can imagine, that causes some consternation, not only <laughs> uh, among our um, accreditors, but also with even those who are considered friends of ours sure. as well. Women are admitted to our MA programs, and we have three. We have Master of Arts in Historical Theology, Master of Arts in Theological Studies, as well as Biblical Studies. And here on our campus, about 15% of the total student population are women who are in our classrooms encouraging us and enlightening us and and studying with all the students. Obviously, our focus is MDiv, but MA is a very active program. Mm -hmm. Church is composed of over 50% women and and hearing from them and learning with them and being sharpened by them is an important part of the education process. So we're so grateful for many other students who are here as well as partners who join us in educating our future pastors. Many of our graduates that end up in different places, as you can imagine with these programs, they go on to doctoral programs in terms of further studies. Um, I can just think of, uh, in recent history, a number of students, but just to mention one of them, Elizabeth Van Dyke, who was a a fine Bib study student, Mm -hmm. is at UCLA going through Semitic studies at this point. And wherever she goes, she's going to end up being a wonderful uh, teacher and professor and a scholar in that area. We also have many who are ending up in local church ministry, Mm -hmm. whether it be in the support role of some sort of uh, education, counseling, missions, or other ways where they're able to serve the church. One of our deans is a dean of women students named Diana Houston, who went through our school later in her life, having raised her children already. But she serves in our local PCA church as a counselor, having gone through our MA program here. Mm -hmm. And so she is in ministry, uh, serving the local church that way, serving the families as well as the children that are there. And, And frankly speaking, This is hopefully not offensive to anyone, but (laughs) many of them are, uh, in terms of having studied here, they use that education for other education. If you can uh, just see all the graduates who, having gone through their two years of MA program here, and then went on to a different career altogether. Hmm. Um, Many are teachers, many are lawyers, some have become doctors, uh, having gone through the program here. And I think all of them will find that the perspective and learning they received in seminary have become a wonderful way of preparing for their future studies as they engage uh, day to day. And, and frankly speaking, I think the, uh, the, it's limitless in terms of what they do. We have writers who are writing on a regular basis online as well as books. We have wonderful mothers who are discipling their children and yeah. many around them in phenomenal ways with their education here. We have missionaries who are abroad teaching. These are uh, a number of opportunities that are present yeah. that we hope that our students will take advantage of. That's great. That's really encouraging to hear. And uh, we're very excited about uh, what is happening out on the uh, the California coast at uh, Westminster, <laughs> California. And um, our guest has been President Joel Kim of Westminster Seminary, California. And uh, Joel, we're so thankful that you took time with us to talk about what seminary education can do, how the churches can benefit and do benefit from faithful seminaries, 
and um, some of your words just very encouraging, I know, to potential students who are trying to think through some of those decisions. So thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It was a delight. Absolutely. Well, uh, for those of you that are uh, listeners to Mortification of Spin, we would encourage you to visit our website, mortificationofspin.org. And we're offering a book by uh, a faculty member that President Joel Kim mentioned, uh, Dennis Johnson of Westminster Seminary, California. Dr. Johnson has written a number of wonderful books. And a volume that has just come out recently is called Journeys with Jesus. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It is an excellent book. And it is an excellent book for the layperson. And we would encourage you to, to get a copy. And if you'd like to receive a free copy, we will be giving uh, several of those away. If you'll come to mortificationofspin.org and enter to win uh, Journeys with Jesus by Dennis Johnson. Uh, you'll be very glad that you have a copy of that book. Well, also, while you're at our website, we are a listener-supported podcast, and if you would like to make a contribution to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, I know that gift would be greatly appreciated. Thanks so much for joining us, and we look forward to talking to you next time on Mortification of Spin. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, the podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about Christians have always affirmed that we believe in the resurrection of the body. And that's all good, but the best thing about the new heavens and new earth is that God is there. We need to respond and we need to recenter things, not only affirming all the Bible says, but also what it says is most important. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. So sorry about that, everybody. Nope. There are birds on several podcast interview tracks that I've nice. done. <laughs> it's always good to have some background going on. Well, we have a screaming spider monkey in the uh, studio, so he could go off at any moment. So <laughs> You never know. You just never know. Yeah. That's why I subscribe to your show. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you ready to roll, Joel? I'm ready. We're not live, by the way, so any if you make any egregious mistakes, we, uh, <laughs> we never make egregious mistakes at this end. We keep them in, though. If you say anything we need to remove, we can do it for a small consideration. <laughs> a fee is what you mean, I yes, think. Right? Yeah, so a bribe is, I think, what they call it in Africa. We call it a, a consideration here. <laughs>